scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clinging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We're excited about things that have happened and things that are happening even, even today. We'll begin at 4 o'clock chisel for our high school and college-age young men. Uh, be sure, uh, those of you that are in high school, 18 and under, uh, there is a release form that your parents need to sign. Uh, it's been texted and emailed out to you, but if you need that, there are copies of it at the Information Center. Uh, also, we'll meet up at the 2030 building, the youth building. Uh, try not to be late. Uh, no offense, but we will leave you. We are on a tight schedule, and uh, so if you want to go with us, be there at 4 o'clock, and if not, we'll tell you about how good it was. Also, at sculpt for our young ladies high school young ladies will begin immediately after services this evening both of these adventures are 48 hours long and so uh, chisel will get back at about five o'clock it's really i guess 49 hours long but it'll get back about five o'clock on tuesday and then i'll let sculpt the girls tell you what time they're getting back i think it may be about 5 30 or 6 on tuesday we are thankful that our mission team to El Salvador had a great week and they are home safely as of yesterday. There were at least 11 baptisms. A lot was done for that congregation in La Cruz just outside of Uslatan and uh, we're thankful for all the many seeds beyond those 11 uh, baptisms that were planted in the lives of children and adults. Uh, here's Kelly Collins in one of the Bible classes that took place for the children in the daytime. And there were also gospel meetings and Bible classes at night. And we're also mindful and asking you to be mindful of our mission team of two that's leaving out today. Uh, Daniel Nordstrom and Don Humphrey. And they will be spending 16 days in South Sudan. Uh, they've got a, a, quite a, an agenda that they want to accomplish while they're there. They want to check on the preaching school, but also the clinic and the medical work that we do there. But then also, you remember that uh, north, in the northern part of South Sudan, we're sending monthly relief for at least six months to our brothers and sisters who were literally starving to death. And so they're going to check on that little refugee camp there uh, and on those brothers and sisters. But then also, and I guess most of you are aware of this, but in Uganda there's a huge, there's two or three huge refugee camps that several of the South Sudanese people have gone to. And so now we have planted uh, preachers, if you want to call them missionaries, in those camps. And so now brothers and sisters uh, or individuals are becoming our brothers and sisters in Christ in huge numbers. Now here's what's neat, and we've learned this from the past experience. When that conflict finally subsides, whether it's months or maybe even years from now, all of those in the refugee camps are going to go back home all over South Sudan. And so what's going to happen is they're going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ back to their villages and there's going to be a spreading of the Lord's kingdom 
in an amazing way if it is the way it's been in the past. And so they're going to check on that work too. And uh, we're excited about all these opportunities and works and also very heavy hearted for the conflict that our brothers and sisters are going through there and even their, their physical pain of starvation. Uh, but we're thankful that God has given us the opportunity to work and serve together. We're thankful that we can be whatever help that we can be. And we want to continue to pray for Don and Daniel and for their success and also their wisdom as they go there that they can figure out what is best. We're mindful of the Kefs as they uh, spent a few days in London and now just of yesterday, they are now in Ukraine. And, uh, you, you know, we've mentioned several times it's a very important part or portion in the process of adoption that they're doing on this trip. And we want to pray for that success from Karina and Misha, uh, Misha and then also just for their safety on this. Also, we want to be thankful, but also be mindful in present tense of our 12questions.net work. We did have a great campaign, but the website is still a valuable tool. Please be talking about it, be using it, pointing others that are friends or family members that have questions. It's a great place to go for some of life's greatest questions, at least that are being asked today. And so let's be mindful of that and continue to use that. And for any that are guests here this morning that we met you out through that campaign, we are so thankful that you're here. It really encourages us that you're here. And if we can encourage you and help you and walk along with you from now into heaven. We really want to do that. Why is love so important? We've been looking through 1 Corinthians and we've been dealing with a lot of heavy stuff because he just deals with problem after problem after problem. And then finally you come to the 13th chapter that at the first glance is a little bit of a relief. All of a sudden it doesn't seem so dirty and so troublesome. But yet when we really start to break it down, it too is a tremendous, challenging study. We all need it because life can get messy. I think about the story that's told about little six-year-old Brandon. He pushed his chair on an early Saturday morning up to the kitchen cabinet. He had a dream in his mind. He was going to make breakfast, pancake breakfast for his parents who were still in bed. He reached up high into a cupboard and pulled out a, a sack, a bag of flour that was too heavy for his little hands, and it crashed onto the cabinet, spilt there, and then on into the floor. He took his big bowl and his little hands, and he scooped up as much of that as he could, and he placed it back into the bowl, and he pulled out some milk, and some of the milk made it in the bowl, and other parts and portions of the milk was on the cabinet and dripping off into the floor. And also he found a little bit of sugar, and he sprinkled it in, and, and while he was working on that, he set the eggs on the cabinet and then he noticed that the cat was looking out of the bowl and so as he was pushing the cat off the cabinet he also knocked the eggs off and they toppled face down breaking into the floor he looked over at the oven and he looked at the eggs and it dawned on him this wasn't going anything like he had planned he scooped a few of the, ha the eggs up, just barehanded, trying to get those yellows and yolks into the, into the bowl. And the truth is, he didn't know if he should turn on the stove or the oven. And the truth is, he didn't know how to turn either of them on. And his eyes started to well up with tears. And the dream that he had, he started to look around, and even the six-year-old could see. He made a frightening mess. His pajamas looked a lot more like a dirty dish rag and the kitchen looked like a war zone. And as he was evaluating all of that that was in the best of intentions, 
he noticed out of the corner of his eye his dad was standing there. He braced himself for the scolding and knew that he deserved a whipping. And instead, his dad walked over and scooped him up, pulled him in close, and in a gentle voice, he said, Son, you think we could tackle this project together? Mama's still in bed. Let's cook her some pancakes. That day, what Brandon received was love. It's interesting how life can quickly become messy. And I want to ask you this morning, when it does, what are you willing to give? Are you willing to give love when life gets messy? You know that marriage that at the beginning just seems like nothing could ever go wrong? that relationship can get a little bit more messy and difficult than maybe what we ever dreamt. That child that's such a cute baby is now a rebellious teenager. Or maybe that parent that we naturally love, but yet they become very difficult to deal with. Or maybe it's that neighbor next door that at the beginning we had a great relationship and now the truth is we're enemies. Or maybe that job that was the dream job, you never realized how hard it was going to be to work with the co-workers in that dream job. What started out seeming like just the perfect picture can very quickly slip away like those eggs and end up in a mess. And I'm not asking you what you want from people this morning. I'm asking you in that situation, what are you willing to give people? Are you willing to love even in the messy and the difficult times of life? You see, Paul doesn't write 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, because everything was so good that he just said, Oh, this is so wonderful at Corinth. You're doing everything about being a disciple of Jesus and living the Christian life in such a beautiful way. It makes me think about this wonderful topic of love. Let's just talk about love. Friends, they were doing things so messy, so horribly. God had given them wonderful gifts, wonderful abilities, wonderful resources, and they were misusing them to the point that Paul says, whoa, we've got to talk about why you even do what you do. And that's what we studied last week, 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Are you using the gifts that God has given you to lift you up for personal gain? Or do you realize that we're many members in one body and we're to use our gifts to profit all, to lift up the body of Christ? And maybe we read that in 1 Corinthians 12. Maybe we studied that last week and maybe we all conclude that's the way to do it. I really don't want life to become about me. I really do want to use all that I am for God's glory. But do you realize even in that it's hard to know how to do it? And so that's why he writes the 13th chapter. It's almost as if he says, if you believe the 12th chapter, if you buy in and you say, I don't want life to be all about me. I really do want to do things for the profit of others. How do I do it? He closes the 12th chapter by saying, now let me show you an excellent way. And the next chapter is all about love.
Not necessarily the way we would define love, but it's that Greek word agape or agape. And it is the idea of making a decision to be selfless, to do what is right and best for others unconditionally because we want to be like God. And so we look at this question again. Why is love so important? Could I run over just about six or eight passages quickly, just remind you why love is so important, and then let's land in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. If you want to make notes of these, uh, let's mention these quickly. First John, the fourth chapter in verse 8, love is so important because if you do not know love, you do not know God, for God is love. You want to know God? You must become a student of love. Or what about in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, when they came to ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment. He didn't apologize and he didn't hesitate. He said, love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And, and he says, this is the first priority and great scope. This is the first and great commandment. And then he tacked on the very next verse by saying, oh, and I can tell you the second greatest commandment also. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others, love yourself. God says, these are the greatest commandments that I can give you. And all of the law and all the prophets hang on these. Imagine this, if you will. Here's this, here's this bracket. And the overwhelming part of the bracket is at the top. And that top is love God. And right under it is connected another bracket that's just a little bit smaller. Love others as yourself. And then under that, quite a bit smaller, is every other teaching of God. In other words, God is saying, you can't get all of these others right if you do not begin with love of God with all of your being and love of others as yourself. You want to worship right? Get love right. You want to have a moral life? Get love right. You want to be in your family, among your neighbors and etc. What God would want you to be, it all begins with love. Galatians, the fifth chapter, there is a reason why the fruit of the Spirit begins with the characteristic of love because all of the others help build the very concept of love. Or in Colossians, the third chapter, when he begins in verse one by saying, if you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And he talks about things that we put off because we're a Christian. And then in verse 12, he starts listing the things that we put on. And he lists very beautiful characteristics. Look at them there. Tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. But now skip down to look at 14. But above all these things put on love in the bond of perfection. Now notice, he said above all of these things. It's the most important. We go to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, our text for today. 1 Corinthians, 13th chapter. You remember how that chapter ends? Now abides faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. He's not belittling faith. Faith is so important. He is not belittling the hope that we have, the expectation that God will keep his promises. You better have that hope. You can trust him. He's not belittling that. What he is doing is showing how high how great, how immeasurable the concept of love really is. 
And so flip over two pages in your Bible to 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, and this is how this letter of 1 Corinthians ends. You're very close to the end. Look at verse 13 and 14. It's almost like a, an officer in the military standing before his soldiers, and, and he's giving them that almost that battle cry. And notice, watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do, how much? All that you do be done with love. A few years ago, after studying all the verses that we just studied, and studying them for quite some time, there became a sobering unrest in my being. Because it dawned on me how long I'd been a Christian and how long I'd studied the Scriptures and how I had never understood the emphasis that God places on love. He doesn't hesitate to say over and over in scriptures, it's above everything. It's most important. He doesn't apologize. He literally says, it's me. I'm love. Brethren, if there's anybody in the Mount Juliet community that people ought to look to and say, those people truly do love, even in difficult times, because that's what the love is that's taught in the Scriptures. It's not this cozy, easy-going love. It's, it's through the thick and the thin, the great days and the hard days, through the times we're being treated right and the times that we're being mistreated. God says, here's what you owe people. Love. Do you realize that if 1,000 or 1,100 people right here today started loving the way the Scriptures teaches us to love, the impact that it would make on this community? Do you realize how it would change just the parking at the grocery store? Most people don't love their neighbor as their self. They go for the very front parking spots. And we do it right here at church. And we do it everywhere we go. Because the reality is we don't love our neighbors ourselves. We convince ourselves we do, and we try to convince ourselves we do, and we may succeed at convincing ourselves that we do, but we don't. What would happen if every action of your day was to esteem others greater than yourself? What if not one comment you made all day was to lift yourself up? And I'm not saying that you love yourself if you degrade yourself. I'm not saying that. The Bible doesn't teach that. I'm not saying that to lift others up, we have to degrade ourselves. That's wrong. But what if every comment of the day was truly to love others and to lift them up? What if everything we stopped and thought, what is the love of God in this time of conflict that I owe unconditionally? I'm not asking what you did to me. I'm asking what I should do to you because of the love of God. I wish I could better illustrate this and I wish I could better help us all understand it. 
But I want to go out on a limb and at least confess to you for myself and maybe wrongfully so confess maybe even for most of us here. I don't think the majority of us grasp what the love of God really looks like lived out in our life. The transformation would make us so different from the world. It would be oftentimes misunderstood by the world. Perhaps not even appreciated by the world. But it would be different from the world. Why? Because where the love that God requires of us begins is not in actions. And that's what we're accustomed to. We're accustomed to how are people going to see this? What are people going to think about this? And God says, look, what I want you to think about is, what is your motive? Why are you doing what you're doing? And here's just a brief breakdown of one way you could outline 1 Corinthians 13. And we won't have time to, of course, study all of 1 Corinthians 13, but I want you to get this in your mind. The first three, chap- the first three verses in what was capably read just a few moments ago... Did you recognize that voice? That was the voice of all of our 12questions.net campaign in the scripture reading. You're like, ah, oh, I knew that voice. All right, what was capable of read a few moments ago in the first three verses reminds us of the motive of love. Verse 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 is not really a definition of love. It is a description of love. And then in the following verses, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, shows us the permanence of love. There are going to be things that come and go, but by God's plan, love will never go. Love is what we practice on this earth. Love is what we practice for an eternity. And then he closes, as we've already seen, he said, let me show you the prominence of this love. It's greater. Uh, greater than, it doesn't matter, just fill in the blank. Do you hear me? Do you hear God? It doesn't matter what. Just fill in the blank. Love is greater than what? Fill in the blank with anything. It's more important to love than to gloat in your abilities. It's more important than love than to gloat in your resources. It's more important to love than to try to lift up yourself. In Matthew the sixth chapter, And if you're taking notes, I just want you to note this if you want to study this deeper. I think this would be a challenge in in a beautiful way. I'm not saying in a deep intellectual way. I'm talking about a very practical way this would be a challenge for us. What about if we studied Matthew the 6th chapter 1 through 18 where he talked about giving, he talked about these good gifts, and he said, now I want you to stop and I want you to ask yourself, why do you give? Do you give to be seen of others, to hear the glory of men? Or do you give so secretly that your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing because the only reason you're giving is because you love. Now, he doesn't use the word love there, but that's the idea of the motive. What is your motive to give? And same thing about praying. Why, why do we pray? What's the motive? And then he goes down to fasting. What's the motive? Now, with that in mind, turn over to 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter, and he helps us perhaps to better understand this. See, in the 13th chapter, keep in mind, probably in the 12th, 13th, 14th chapter, a big part of their jealousy that they were experiencing was because some of those that spoke in tongues apparently thought that their gift was more important than others. And so he's not just calling them out to say, whoa, you, you need to be a little more humble the way you use your gifts. And instead, he backs up to the very core of it, and he says, let's go to your heart. What is the motive? Why do you use the gifts you have? Well, how am I supposed to use them? He says you're supposed to use them out of love. 
And then he gives this teaching, which probably includes an exaggeration for effect. And he says in 13.1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. We don't ever know of men speaking with the tongues of angels. But can you imagine that kind of eloquence? Here's someone speaking in tongues, and then you say, Oh, not only can he speak in tongues of men, but he can speak in tongues of angels. Wow, what eloquence. We love eloquence. If you have the chance or the opportunity to sit and listen to a boring speaker or an eloquent speaker, which are you going to choose every time? Well, except this morning, you're going to choose eloquence. Now, think with me for just a minute. He puts in that contrast, but, and most of the time in Scripture, that is powerful. It's almost God's way of saying, hey, this is huge. Now, screech it to a stop. But, what's the but there? But have not love. You got this amazing gift, but you don't have love. Now notice the shift of this contrast. Without love, God says, this is the way I hear it. It's a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You've been in a commercial kitchen where a big pot lands on a concrete or, or a tile floor and it's clanging and it's so loud and you cover your ears until it stops making a noise. You've been, you've been around a fifth grader that's beating on a drum set and he's just killing the cymbals and finally you hope his mother shows up and says, stop, because that's what any mother's going to do. Why? It hurts your ears. You see what he's saying? He says, oh, you like to wax eloquent because you get caught up in your gift and you love to hear people say, oh, that was so eloquent. You're so good. That's so wonderful. And he says, do you realize if you're doing that without love, God is saying, I can't stand it. Stop. You're killing my ears. Please stop that nonsense. And people on earth are saying, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. God says, I don't care what it is if it's without love. Why do you teach the kindergarten class? Why do you teach the ladies class? Why do you teach the teenagers? Why do you teach the young adults? Why do you teach the prime timers? Why do you preach? Why do you extend devotionals? Why do you go down to all the various devotionals that this congregation participates in the community? Why do you do them? And if you can't, honestly, we're just going to your heart. Nobody else knows it. If from the depths of your heart, you can't honestly say, I do it because I love God and I love the people. I assure you, if that's not the answer, God is hearing it and saying, I wish they'd stop. They're killing my ears. And the audience, the whole time, because they can't read hearts, the audience may be saying, great job. Keep it up. Well, it's not just the gift of speaking in tongues. Look at verse 2. Though I have the gift of prophecy... Imagine that, God miraculously putting information in your mind. And so he gives example of this prophecy. You understand how much all mysteries, anytime the word mystery is used in Scripture, it's talking about significant knowledge that is unknown, that's going to be made known. So he doesn't just say you'll understand mysteries. He says all mysteries. And then look at the word all again, all knowledge. And then look at the word again, have all faith. So if there's an obstacle of a mountain, you'll have so much faith because you have all faith. You don't, remember Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. Remember Jesus looked at the centurion and said, there's nobody in Israel who has great faith like this. Listen, this one trumps all of those. This one has all faith. So you have prophecy and all knowledge is given. All mysteries is given. All faith that nothing can stop you. And so you're on this, you're on this spiritual high if you will. And isn't it interesting? We would tell ourselves we're on this spiritual high. And you know what God would say? Here's the contrast again. But have not love? God would say, 
screech the brakes. I count that a zero. But God, it really, it really puts me on, on a spiritual high to, to use my gifts in such a big way and I see it touching people's lives and, and it just makes me feel so important. It gives me my belonging. It gives me, it helps me. It's about me. People are complimenting me. And he says, you can call it whatever you want, but spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, it's a zero. How much do we do that we think we're gaining spiritual benefit from, but because our motives are wrong, it actually is carnal in nature and we do not even know it? Life minus love is nothing. I beg you to cling to that this week. I beg you to really give that some serious thought. Why do we do what we do? And I know I'm using practical little things, but, but you figure out where to go from there. Why do you say something sweet to your spouse? Is it because ultimately you want something in return or is it because you love them? Why do you serve your children? Because you want someone else to say, oh, look what a good parent they are. Or is it just strictly out of love? Why do you park in the closest parking spaces? Why do you come and sit within five feet of someone and not speak to them? Why? Why do we do or not do what we do? What about if we evaluated everything through love? And then he speaks of benevolence here. 1 Corinthians 13th chapter and verse 3, we take all of our goods and we give it all away to feed the poor, or we even take our body and we sacrifice our body to be burned. And now notice the contrast. But have not love, he says, it profits me nothing. Now this is interesting because you think if someone was giving so benevolently or someone was sacrificing so much of their own self, you'd say, well, that has to be pure motives. And what God is telling us here is absolutely not. There are people who make generous gifts because some way it feeds their ego. And he says, listen, if that's why you're making a generous gift, because you think some way men are going to glorify you, or you're going to get your name put in some publication, or some executive director is going to mention you, or some building is going to hold your name, or, or, or whatever reason that you would do it, where the motive is not pure and simple. I love God, and I love others. And I very quietly and humbly want to give this gift. Now notice, here's what's interesting. When our motive is not right, we're ultimately giving so that we can get glory. And notice here, the end of this, it says, profits me nothing. And so here the irony is, he says, you're doing it so that you can get something out of it, but the reality is, you're not going to get anything out of it. You just think you are. And so when we think about love, and, and we're going to close, so I don't want you to think that we're opening this back up, but... I do want to give you something to think about, and, and, and perhaps we'll continue this on, but when we think about love, we just looked at the motive, we oftentimes think about warm, cozy pictures. Oh. But what if we ask Jesus, Jesus, help us picture love. And He would wash feet in John 13 and then he would say a new commandment that I've given to you that you love others as I've loved you 
And by this, may all people know you are my disciples. If you have love, one for another. Later, when we go back and study the 4th through the 8th chapter, what we're going to find out is the love that God is asking of us in the 4th through the 8th chapter is not cozy and warm. Sometimes it feels that way. But most of the time, it's very sacrificial. It's very expensive. It costs a lot of us. If any man will come after me, let him deny self. Why? Because you love me. Deny self. Take up your cross and follow me. So what I learned today. Motive means everything to God. Love is the most important. Without love, we are nothing. Love is a verb. It is a choice. God's people are known by love. This morning, we all know that life gets messy. And our selfish nature says in our minds, what are you going to do for me now that life has gotten messy? Now that you've mistreated me, what are you going to do to make it right? Now that this situation has spun out of control, what are you going to do to make it right? And isn't it interesting, God speaks through Paul to a messy situation and he says, all I want you to concentrate is on you. And I want you to concentrate on loving others as they ought to be loved. What you say, what you do, will the motive be true love? With that in mind, will you listen to this example? For God so loved the world. We were enemies of His. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And He did that so that we wouldn't perish, but that we could be saved. He is love. He's shown the example. And if you haven't come and laid down your life before Him, we want to help you find that purpose and that meaning in life. And however we can help you, please let us know. If you're ready right now to make a decision to become a Christian, to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, we'd love to assist you with that. Maybe you've already begun that journey, and along the way you've lost sight of that journey, and you're ready to renew your love to God. We'd love to pray with you and for you as you repent and as you confess sin. If we can help you in any way,